Hi, I am Balchandran. Today, our guest is Christian Bose, strength and conditioning coach of Netherlands Olympic team. Having trained multiple Olympic and world championship medalists, he has a world of experience working with high-performance athletes. In today's conversation, he will give us an insight into high-performance training. Welcome. about yourself uh, and you grew up in Brunswick uh, playing tennis so from playing tennis to being a SNC coach now I mean how did this journey actually happen <laughs> what uh, inspired considering you're a Boris fan I mean <laughs> how much how much time do we have no <laughs> uh, well as you mentioned I started playing myself I was really in love with tennis and to a certain extent I still am um, I always had the dream of becoming a professional player. Um, I was okay, let's say, on a national level, but never really got much better than that. Uh, sports science. So this is what I did, study sports science. Always wanted to work with athletes, high-performance athletes. Um, so my focus was always on tennis, physical preparation. And um, yeah, towards the end of my studies, the opportunity came up to go to India to work in the High Performance Tennis Center with uh, Jonathan Stubbs and yourself. So I took that opportunity and that was my first step into, into strength and conditioning. Um, from there, I worked there for two years. I learned a lot from you and Jonathan. Uh, moved on to work for the Catalan Tennis Federation. Learned more stuff from Jordi Garese, former Davis Cup captain. And then, yeah, moved on to work for the English Tennis Federation, the British Tennis Federation, and for the Chinese Tennis Federation. And now, since 2010, for the Olympic Committee here in the Netherlands. I mean, now, according to you, which was most challenging discipline to work with? Uh, um, well, I would like to go one step back. I mean, physical preparation is... Uh, a lot of people confuse that, so if you've worked with tennis, how can you work with another sport? Um, really, sports science, physical preparation is about understanding a sport, so you dive into the scientific literature, you make an analysis of the sport. Uh, most often there are already an analysis, so you get your information together, you talk to coaches, you have a look at the sport, so you quickly realize and understand what is necessary for a given sport so it's i don't want to say it's e easy to switch from sport to sport but it's not as difficult as most people think which sport did i find most challenging um i guess every sport has a challenge in itself tennis is certainly a challenge really work on physical preparation so you have to always find ways to incorporate that into the tournament schedule uh, so tennis is challenging from that perspective also the unpredictability uh, uh, if you're not a highly ranked player you cannot select all the tournaments you want to go to so there's always like what we are doing now before the corona we knew exactly what are the main competitions by the beginning of the year so we know exactly when the athletes have to be in shape and when we can train so that makes work easier to a certain extent um yeah, what else is challenging? Boxing was also challenging because it's uh, the culture of the sport. It's a, it's a martial art, right? So there's a lot of traditions in that sport that yeah, well, I would challenge or I did challenge, but it's very difficult. It was difficult for the coaches to move away from that. Now, I would say it's a lack of training. I would say it's the, um, I would say it's also probably the, isn't embraced necessarily from what I've seen. Um, 
So kids don't perform, don't perform a lot of sports from early ages. Uh, also not multiple sports, what is now supposed to be the new gold standard that at early ages until 12 or 13, 14, until puberty, you should perform multiple sports to basically get a broad variety of skills that you can then use later to specialize in a sport. So I think that in India is not necessarily well developed in all places. Um, and yeah, I think we saw that when we moved to, when we went with the academy to Europe, that the kids also there. I think the genetic point of view, I heard that very often in India. I, I don't know, but I would challenge it. I think one of the, one of the best arguments I've heard, I don't know who was it, is like if you go, for example, say you go through Bombay and then you see that small kids at the side, they are begging and they do some kind of gymnastic skills, right? So whatever skills they do, it's, it's fantastic. So if you get these, if you would get these kids into an organized program, I don't know why they shouldn't be elite gymnasts at some point in time. But again, sure. I think it's, there's no structure and yeah. that would facilitate it. So, but I mean, they do fantastic things. And we also, we had some athletes who were genetically very gifted in different areas. So I'm not sure whether that is, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't believe that. So, I mean, uh, listening to you now, because uh, there was somebody who was asked uh, whether Indian players uh, mature late, I mean, but from based on what you say the organized uh, training starts late then obviously they they tend to reach their uh, potential later so i guess uh, the argument can be put not just no, no, Indians no. mature late it's just oh, that sure. we start an organized program later than the europeans for sure i yeah, mean you, you, you mature later yes uh, the only problem i see with late maturing is you won't probably be a successful junior but you can still be a successful senior right yeah. So whether you win a grand slam with 22 or 27, I mean, you know. Prajnesh is a good example. I mean, you have seen him. I mean, we have seen him as a 15-year-old kid, yeah. very thin, skinny. And uh, by the time he was 20, 21, I mean, he's like a really fit, strong athlete. I mean, that's come with, uh, I mean, you, you, are, you played a major role in the whole thing. So you want to just uh, talk uh, about it uh, to the listeners? I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in hearing. Uh, yeah, I mean, your thing. we can we can do it a bit more interactive. So in case I miss anything, um, yeah. Well, we late 2004, Prashnish was already there. Um, he must have been 14 at the time, something like this, 14, 15. So I think he was always a good player, but he was mm, physically a bit fragile. Uh, um, so yeah, we worked on that and it took, it took time. I mean, during the two years I was there, we worked heavily on it. Then he later came to Spain. We worked on that. Um, and I guess, um, I have, when he was in the U S I lost a little bit of, uh, contact with him. So I don't really know what happened there, but yeah, well, I started working with him now five years ago so um, yeah i mean it's a very different now than he was as a kid and i think it's a it's the result of a continuous effort so it's like it's like anything else if you want to be good at it you have to do it and you have to continue with it and it's a, it's a long journey it's not a six-week program or 12 week it's a long journey right it's the say it's necessarily 10,000 hours, but it gives you a good indication what it takes, whether it's 8,000 or 7,000 or 12, it doesn't really matter, but it takes a lot of time. And a very specific fitness question, so I'll just run it through. So it okay. says uh, tennis being very unpredictable sport and decision making uh, and, and decision unpredictable sport and decision making in terms of prescribing load can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. So is there any way we can 
monitor it or you know what parameter is diminishing so can we monitor yeah that's a uh, question it's come from a very uh, fitness specific uh, person yeah uh, neon training yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's a difficult question uh, first and foremost i'm not sure what that person refers to with load whether it's overall training load or whether it's load in the gym or something like that yes it is challenging um 100% but also i think i think the way i've always approached it you have to make an effort to do the best so what i want to say with that is you have an idea you see the athletes regularly when they are not competing so you have an idea what they can do uh and then it's just a question of filling the gaps during tournaments so you know they have a tournament and you know they might have four times in a week where they can do a certain training so that already gives you an idea of how many times they can train then the next consideration is they might have a match on the day on the next day or the previous day so you can develop four training sessions for that week and then you can develop each training session you have a normal session a light session and a heavy session where you can then say okay if you have a training on that day or if you have a competition on that day you do a light session if you don't have two if if you didn't compete for two days you can do a heavy session so it's about having a plan it's about having certain variations and then you have to stay in close connection with the coach and the athlete to prescribe whatever is appropriate actually something i'm currently doing with prashnet as well it's like you know we have we have sessions for strength development we have sessions for explosiveness we have sessions for endurance whatever and um during the tournaments when it's less predictable we have heavy light medium so i prescribe the sessions and then he either selects the session by himself because he knows what to do or he contacts me and asks me what to do because i mean you know if 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 i lose on a tuesday and my next match is on a monday you know there are so many days in between so i can do wednesday me wednesday medium thursday heavy friday heavy saturday light sunday off so there's always some form of training you can do and there's also some form of stimulus that you can set even in these periods i mean with younger athletes you have to be a bit more um directive prescriptive so but then it's important if you are the fitness coach snc coach that you stay in close contact with the tennis coach because most of the most of the time the tennis coach is traveling with the athlete so that the tennis coach can then also help provide the information or help running the sessions that's the only chance you have in my opinion it's actually something i'm currently doing with prashnet as well it's like you know we have we have sessions for strength development we have sessions for explosiveness we have sessions for endurance whatever and um during the tournaments when it's less predictable we have heavy light medium so i prescribe the sessions and then he either selects the session by himself because he knows what to do or he contacts me and asks me what to do because i mean you know if 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 i lose on a tuesday and my next match is on a monday you know there are so many days in between so i can do wednesday me wednesday medium thursday heavy friday heavy saturday light sunday off so there's always some form of training you can do and there's also some form of stimulus that you can set even in these periods i mean with younger athletes you have to be a bit more um directive prescriptive so but then it's important if you are the fitness coach snc coach that you stay in close contact with the tennis coach because most of the most of the time the tennis coach is traveling with the athlete so that the tennis coach can then also help provide the information or help running the sessions that's the only chance you have in my opinion uh, when you're talking about this because there was a question on how someone like especially a tennis player with this kind of very 
unpredictable uh, you know, like the results and the tournaments uh, how do they maintain their fitness during uh, tournaments so it's a very general question but if you can just uh, address it it's by one of uh, indian tennis player called vishnu so yeah. if you want how you can work on it like building your fitness or ma- maintaining your fitness so how do you do it on the road during tournaments mm-hmm. um before i answer that question i mean i've uh... There's an interview on my website with Matt Little, the fitness coach of Andy yeah. Murray, and he goes into the, specifically into that and his view on that. So it's worth checking that out. Um, my opinion is very similar to Matt's. It's like to build any physical quality, you need to make time in the year. So you need to have certain training periods. So that also means you sh- you should not compete um it doesn't mean it has to be a lot of time but there needs to be let's say a four or six week block at the beginning of the year and that needs to be followed up with another three to four week i need four to six weeks two more times in the year of course tennis players want to compete but i think it's important petition there will be de-adaptations in fitness levels so whatever choice you make whether you want to continue to compete longer it will lead to negative adaptations or de-adaptations so it's really about making choices this is a period to train this is a period to compete and then between these periods of let's say training and competing that you have a maintenance program in place for the athlete to follow and that maintenance program then ties into what i just outlined so you have whatever different training sessions and then you have a medium a light and a heavy or more moderate light heavy whatever you want to call it uh session at hand that the player can fill in or the coach can fill in so now is the best time for them to put in this training blocks <laughs> oh yeah and see when no tournaments for a for a time to come <laughs> we don't know when <laughs> that is through the only six weeks they have eight weeks and 10 weeks <laughs> yeah the only problem might be that there's uh, little access to facilities but yeah so if you have some facility at home or if you have a, a private gym then i guess uh, this is the best time to should make use of the time you can come out one fit athlete i mean not many are going to come out of this uh, huge uh, break uh, that sharp you can have a district advantage <laughs> for fitness and tennis and with the nature of the sport so everybody is kind of pushing the limits uh, physically mm-hmm. so you think they are on the on the side of overload or uh, they can still manage if they have a good training plan and uh, the maintenance plan mm. um well i always try to look at um let, let the first thing that comes to my mind i can see the point i can definitely see the point but then my question would be do you think that fedra djokovic and nadal are overworked i think they push the limits of tennis and the physical physicality of tennis i think we are seeing the fittest players of all times at this moment in time it will probably be different in 2 years or five years but uh, i don't see them necessarily being overworked so i think there must be some form of preparation combination of preparation competition and recovery that allows them to be at the level they are at yes i understand that players who what i alluded to earlier who don't have the luxury to say okay these are the four slams that are these are the atp thousands and then i feel in another three tournaments um they have less ability to plan and just a bit more unpredictable but i still think you can manage workloads of training and competition and you should uh uh well i don't see a point of deliberately overworking if you know that there's a negative benefit a negative a negative influence of overwork I mean, if they go into the overload, they're going to get injured for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's I, I, I fully understand how a player and a coach must feel that if results are not good for two weeks or three weeks, 
that the temptation is high, okay, let's do another two weeks. But that if there had been already two or three bad weeks in a row, how likely is it to have a good fourth week or a fifth week? I know it's a tough call. I know it's uh, probably um, difficult for the player to say, hmm, I have to step back and maybe I would do well. But yeah, well, that's these are decisions you have to make, huh? Not Even when they're playing Reds. It's, it's, it's in every part of life that you kind of doubt whether some decision should be done or not. But I guess you, it, it, if you put the pieces together and you think about it logically, you can probably get the answer quickly. Yeah. I mean, even when they're doing well, I mean, you are on a four-week tour and first two weeks, I mean, you you win the tournament, you've grinded your way to 10 matches. I mean, it, it, it's it's okay to miss the next week, but because you, you force yourself to the next week, you're struggling. Yeah. And then on hindsight, you look back and feel, maybe you should have missed it. Yeah. So it's always, like you said, stuff call. I mean, between the coach, the player, yeah. and the SNC coach. So I think as they play more, I mean, the Federals and Nadal, they know exactly how they feel. Yeah. And they take all uh, you know, more precise now. Yeah. But even then, you can use this as a very good example. I think there was one year, Djokovic, um, it must be four or five years ago. I think he won 81 matches in a row. Uh, <laughs> and then, so I think until May, he won basically every tournament he entered. But then the rest of the year, he didn't do that well. So even they, these guys, right, if they perform very well at the beginning of the year, it tends to be difficult for them to maintain it throughout the year. I don't know, but again, I'm always trying to look for patterns and, uh, yeah, analyze situations. And I think it's the same with... Yeah, you've you've seen you've seen players if they do very well for a long time. There seems to be some trade off later in the year or later in the season, and it's not for nothing. It's yeah, there is a reason behind it. Yeah, if you, if you play seven seven matches in fourteen days and then you win every match, you know, well, at some point, it, yeah. Listeners, uh, amongst the listeners, there are a lot of young uh, SNC coaches or wanting to be SNC coaches. Uh, how would you? Uh, kind of uh, guide them. Uh, what is the path they need to take to get to be an as a qualified SNC coach? Yeah. Are they able to work with uh, you know uh, junior development programs and things like that? Yeah. Um, uh, good question. I mean, if you want to get qualified, you should obtain some form of qualification. So there are certifications out of out there there are also now university masters that you can pursue i guess um, obtaining knowledge is one thing but you have to apply the knowledge also again talking about the interviews i'm doing and if you look back on my website all the successful strength and conditioning coaches that work with high performance teams or high performance players they all say you need to gain experience early. So if you want to be an SMC coach, of course, you need to have the knowledge. You need to know what physical qualities are, how you develop each physical quality, but you also need to apply it. So you need to gain experience in working, whether that is with junior athletes or even if you work as a personal trainer, for example, I mean, it's better than nothing. So get experience and um, yeah. Same, same, same is true here. I think the 10,000 hour rule, whether it's 10,000 hours or 8,000 or 7,000 or 12, you need to, you need to get the coaching hours in order to be a good coach. I guess, uh, for you, when you did your first, uh, assignment in India, you had, uh, you know, experience more than you bargained for on and off the court. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I mean. I'm, I'm very, I think I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity I got in India. I think we were a good team with uh, Jonathan, you and myself and everyone who was involved. I think I got a lot of support from you and Jonathan, so I could apply my knowledge in a way I thought it should be applied. So I got a lot of opportunity to do things. I was, I think I've heard from other coaches, other places are a bit more restrictive what the coaches can do, but I did not have that. So I could really develop, apply what I know. And yeah, I think it, it was the right start for me back then. Is from uh, 
Raman uh, Raman and uh, Varadrajan. It's about uh, 16, 17-year-old uh, dreams to play pro level. What's the average case scenario, mile markers he needs to achieve? Uh, it, I don't know. In terms of fitness, I think uh, you can take it, uh, Christian, but I'll just quickly answer from uh, the, the tennis side. If it's the tennis side, uh, by the time he's 20, 21, he should be playing... Uh, he or she, I mean, said uh, 16, 17 or so. He or she should be playing the futures. Definitely playing the futures and making a run. I mean, should be getting into the main draw, playing, uh, getting to quarters or so. You can't be losing first rounds in in the in the futures. So, with 16, 17 and 5 years time, you're looking at 21, 22. So, already you're in the futures and uh, you're making your presence. So that's from the tennis uh, aspect. Uh, from the fitness aspect, uh, would you like to say something, uh, Christian? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like one thing I think is now with technology, internet is around, uh, we get more information than ever before. So if you go, for example, um, during the Grand Slams, you can get match analysis. So you can see how many meters they covered, you can see how many points they played. You can see the average duration of a rally, how many shots in a rally. So you get a good idea of what the profile of a professional player is. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just making up an example now. Yeah. If on average a match lasts four hours, if uh, there is whatever percentage of first serves, if you see your athlete doesn't even come close to that, then this is something you can work on, right? So if you see the average balls in a rally of six, put your athlete on a court, do some drills, but they have to hit six balls, rest 20 seconds, do it again, see how long it lasts. It's not the most scientific uh, approach, but again, it's a very practical approach to see where your athlete is, right? So if... if um, Djokovic does one double fault in a four setup, and your guy does 20 double faults in a two set match, then you know something is wrong. And these are things you can see, right? If you can see another good example, uh, last year, just to tie in with that, last year I was with Prashnish at the French Open. I watched Nadal practicing. Uh, he, he practiced with a player I hadn't seen before. So, um, yeah, practicing, everything goes well, you know, the guy practicing with him could hit the ball with Nadal, could hit winners against Nadal, but you can see after 20 minutes, after 30 minutes, suddenly that guy starts, starts missing points, right? So, what, what was the winner before is now in the net or five meters out. So, that also gives you, gives you an indication of, yes, probably everyone a lot of people can hit well for 10 minutes. A lot of people can hit well for a set. But I think where then the discriminator is, can you do it for three sets, four sets, five sets? And that's the same what you can see with your guy, right? So if you have a tennis player 16, 17 years old, you can see he can play at his best level for an hour. Yeah, good. But then work on four hours, five hours. So. I wouldn't necessarily yeah. chase any chase any. I wouldn't necessarily say you need to chase any yo-yo scores or sprint times or something. Sometimes what you see on court gives you as good information as the others, uh, as what I've just outlined. Not saying the fitness tests are not valuable, but sometimes you don't have to make it complicated. Just look at what. The best player are doing and see how far off your your player gadgets really benefit or makes a make a big difference or yeah it's just a yeah i think i have a bit of a strong opinion on that uh, it's not about the gadgets i think it's about it's about how to approach a challenge and i think you need to ask yourself what you want to improve what is the challenge you're facing and then you need to find the tool to help you with that. If you do it the other way around, you get confused because there are so many things you can use. If you use anything, everything that comes your way, you might end up uh, being very confused and very distracted and not get any 
anything out of it. So think about I what mean. you want to improve. If there's a, I just make something up. If there's any endurance, stamina issue with your player, okay. So let's find out what tool you can use to give you an insight whether the stamina of the athlete is good enough or not. Yeah. If you think there's a strength deficit, okay, let's see what tools are out there which can help you identify strength deficits. And not just the other way around. If someone comes, oh, I've seen this, let's 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 use it. The thing is, you, there will always be an outcome. Whatever whatever device you put on an athlete, there's always an outcome. But if you don't know what you do with the outcome or result, then yeah. I mean, if I may borrow your uh, one of the lines you use, principles are few, methods are many. Yeah, uh, it's a very good line. I mean, it yeah. makes all the sense. Yeah. yeah, I think you use that uh, quite a bit. I, I think so, yeah. I use it a lot for myself to stay mentally sane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, okay, now that uh, like you expressed your uh, views, but uh, when you're working with, say, another player or like, you know, the, the coaches or, uh, you know, there'll be nutritionists who come in. So when you work with them, uh, uh, I'm sure there will be some conflict. So how do you manage these uh, conflicts now that you're working in a very senior post? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Can you ask that again? Just you know, when you're working with an athlete, I mean, the player might not agree with you, or the coach might not agree with you. So, kind of, there might be a conflict uh, of uh, opinion or ideas or uh, suggestions. So, how do you manage that? I mean, because you are coming from your SNC side, and they are coming from their side. Yeah. Um, I think in the last years, I've been lucky to not have these uh, disagreements anymore. Uh, I think my first approach would be as an SNC coach, you are, it's your job to help the athlete get better. So, and for that, you need to talk to the athlete, you need to talk to the coach to find out what they think needs to improve. Then you come with what you think you need, the athlete needs to improve, you bring it together, and normally that should work. Um, if there's agreement, disagreement along the way, I mean, of course, there's the more you can interact with the athlete and the coach to check in whether you are on track or not, the less likely you have these conflicts. What I mentioned before, if you're working with sports where the tradition, uh, the belief of the coach and the athlete is so different from yours, uh, I think you still need to find the best way to support the athlete and the coach and if it doesn't work it doesn't work uh, as simple as that i mean it's 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 i mean balu you know me i'm i, I there have been situations i could not work successfully yeah. with the coach or athlete it's it is what it is um and that's i guess no one can be successful everywhere but yeah uh, i i would i would always see like Okay, what does the athlete want? Most often the athlete has a clear version of himself or herself. Very likely that they are, listen, they are open to listen to your ideas as a strength and conditioning coach. So that's how you get in there. And then also I think if you can demonstrate that you are there for the athlete to help, then you should be okay. As asked, I mean, uh, is there any fitness test for tennis players you would like to recommend like i mean it, it's a question it's a, like a specific to tennis is there is a fit is there a fitness test is the is what he has asked yeah Raghav yeah i mean there are hundreds of fitness tests out there i think you can find a lot of information online um, i think i would start again with an analysis of the sport so start with the needs analysis how long does how, how long does the match take how many rallies are in a match? How many meters are covered? How often are these meters covered? How many changes of direction? Are the changes lateral, lateral, lateral forward? So you get a lot of information. And based on that, you can come up with a profile of how tennis looks, how tennis looks. And based on that, you find the test. So having said that, most likely you, you, most likely you need a sprint test um tennis players don't cover a lot of distance so you probably do a five meter 10 meter and a maximum of 20 meter sprint some change of direction 
lateral. There needs to be uh, some form of uh, an of an endurance test. Uh, so whether it's a yo-yo or um, multi-stage fitness test. And this is um, how you how you put your testing together. I would I would always say try to keep it as simple as possible and try to keep it relevant for the sport. Um, and what I mentioned before, if the test doesn't give you, if the test, if you can't use the test result to make changes or adjustments in your training, you should question whether the test is worth doing. Like, you know, what age is good to start weight training? So if you can run through, say, or this age to this age, this is a good thing to, like, you know, good, uh, um, these are good activities to do and then kind of build it up to up to adult uh, age. Like yeah. Maybe you can even start with uh, for fundamental movement uh, skills as well. So you have a pathway. Yeah. I mean, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I, I think that'd be useful for a lot of people. So that's why. Yeah. Uh, I guess I've answered that question once or twice before. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we have had uh, many conversations, uh, but today's no, conversation no. is being, uh, I mean, overheard by many people. So uh, I have to tone down also what I say. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's, it's all good. I think the, um, the question is very relevant. And I think very often the question isn't, um, isn't discussed it's not often a nuanced discussion. It's very often, oh, if you do weight training, that's bad. Okay, so let's start with the definition of what weight training is. Essentially, uh, every movement against gravity inf involves some form of working against resistance or weight. Okay, but let's, let's start simple. Uh, I think um, you, you want to you wanna prepare your athletes to be able to do weight training at some point in time. So for that, it's very important that you master the, what you just mentioned, fundamental movements. So it's not like you wait until the athlete being able to do lunges, squats, jumping and landing, forwards, sideways, these kind of things. So it's, it's, it's looking at quality of a movement. And once the quality is mastered, you can increase the challenge that challenge can be increased by more complexity it can also be increased by more load yeah. so and that that's how you progress so and if you would want to follow that guideline of not doing any extra load until the athlete has um, finished puberty at least you should still be able to work on these fundamental movements before so that past puberty the athlete is able to do a loaded squat is able to do a loaded bench press whatever you want to do so the answer is master the movements first and once the movements are mastered you want to progress so again you can put a medicine ball on top of that or you can put an extra load you can do it more repetitions, you can do it faster, whatever it might be, different directions. So it's not an easy answer like uh, you can do weight training after 16 years. No, no. Okay, uh, thanks. I mean, uh, I mean, I know it's a very difficult question for you to answer and uh, you did your best. So uh, Okay. Can well, you just let's, uh, tell let's put it like this. I mean, it's 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 probably a little bit general what I just outlined. But what we did back then in the HPTC, even though players were coming in that were 10, 11 or 12, what do you do? I mean, you still have to teach them the fundamental movements of in the gym as well as you teach them the basic techniques on the court, right? So you don't necessarily start with someone doing a back squat with weight, but you start with someone doing maybe a body weight squat. You start with a push up. If the athlete can't do a push up, you do a push up on the knees or, you know, you do it a little bit elevated. So there are always ways you can do these movements. You can do pull ups. If the athlete can't do a pull up, you put a band around. So it's an assisted pull up. So there's always ways to train and make it easier for the athletes so it's 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 training yeah
just asked a question uh, he is listening in and uh, i mean you have worked with jeevan yeah you have worked with jeevan so you know you can say a few words about him uh, but anyway his question is uh, how does he work on uh, change of direction when there is nobody else to kind of show the sign like you know because change of direction with no predictability so he needs some help so how does he do it that's a very good question um it's um <clears throat> yeah, it's a bit of an advanced question because um yeah it's for jeevan i mean no i was thinking <laughs> about it when i talked about the needs analysis and um that tennis there is a change of direction and change of direction tests because most change of direction tests are actually what's called planned agility so you know what you need to do before in tennis most often you don't need to, you don't know what to do before you have to change direction on a single so um that doesn't help jeevan for now <laughs> so jeevan <the laughs> wants to jeevan wants to do um jeevan wants to do reactive agility without necessarily having someone to help him uh that's a very good question i think the only thing that could come to mind for me now is that there must be some online programs applications where you can just set you know they give you the stimulus of what you need to do uh otherwise i mean it it'll be difficult if you don't have anyone because if you come up with the idea yourself you already know what you need to do so you need to have a training partner or you should probably have a look if there are online applications i'm pretty sure there are okay Yeah, thanks, Christian. Christian, uh, do you have the more time or uh... again? We can. You, what you can think of, you have these um, the reaction balls, right? So yeah. that would be some form, you know, reaction ball against the wall, and then see what you need to do. But again, it's difficult if you don't have a training partner. Uh, maybe get the gardener to throw the ball, so he can throw it at his will. Jeeva, <laughs> I will think about it. If something comes to mind, I'll get back to you. For now, I don't. Yeah. Have, I don't for now, I don't have better answers. 40 year old uh, yeah. the training so um i guess you need to figure out what what your training goal is that's the first thing second thing is uh, if you make an analysis of yourself i mean there are there previous injuries are there any areas so is it preventative is it more about performance improvements so i guess that's how i would approach it it's very difficult with very little information to say okay this is what you need to do um if i do a training program i, I always need to think of what's the overall goal of the program what are the together into a program question i think is very specific for you uh, would you recommend uh, one rm work for uh, tennis players what very specific what one uh, repetition max uh, one rm uh do you want to talk about that yeah i mean it's it's um again it depends on what? again it depends on what you want to achieve i am a big fan of one rm testing um but you need to have the competency for that so whatever exercise you test you need to be technical proficient and you also be to be technical proficient at higher intensity so above 90% one rm uh if you can do that then there is nothing against one rm testing the question is <clears throat> what do you want to achieve with the one rm testing i most often use the one rm testing as a one form is to determine strength levels and see progress over time and to calculate training intensities based on the one rm I know there are other ways to do it. I'm still mostly work with one RM testing and intensities based on one RM. So it's basically uh, for testing because the question I think was uh, for training towards a trick for testing to design yeah. the the program for pre-season or uh, uh, during competition. Yeah. Um what i do with the athletes i'm training nowadays so the athletes come in and start training with me i think the first one rm test one rm test is after one and a half to two years so i really want to make sure that the techniques are consolidated um but before that you can do multiple rm testing so you can test a 3 rm or 5 rm 
but again it should always be governed by technique if the athlete is not able to do it technically proficient then stay away from one rm testing so how different is it to be learning from a, uh, the senior coach uh, versus guiding an aspiring uh, snc coach um yeah that's a good question um it's a really good question i need to think about that um i think i do enjoy the process of helping people so i do enjoy being able to in my career i think i've i yeah i always used the opportunity uh, it's, it's not a very good answer that i'm giving now but i think it's like reflecting on it i think i always enjoyed the opportunity to talk to people with more experience i think i always stubborn as i am i think i always made my own took the information i wanted to take out of it and applied it to my own training philosophy um and i think that's the same what i want to do with people now i think i want to um facilitate critical thinking so people should be able to explain why they are doing certain things I, I truly believe that there's not only one road that leads to Rome. There are many systems with it. So I, and I think you got that from my answers already. I think there's no question A has answer B. There's always, yeah. you need to, you need to think critically about the problem and you need to just find a way to answer that. And I think that's also what I've learned from Jonathan you and also later from Jordi Aresa I think there was if I re reflect on my career I think I was very, very fortunate to have pe people I applied for myself I think I already had, always had it but I think it got reinforced working with the you guys nice now you I mean guess uh... Uh, you know now that there is a road from Bangalore to to Rome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now the reason I ask this question is because I mean now I am in a uh, in a similar position as you. I mean, when I started, I was working with other coaches, senior coaches, learning, and now because of age, I'm become senior. So it's not yeah. that I know more. Role we play, right? So. Yeah. By, uh, I mean, you are working with the, the top athletes and uh, you're working with the Olympic uh, aspirants and uh, the Olympic committees. And so, I mean, I thought yeah. you will have a much more challenging uh, uh, situation. And it's so, what, I, what I used to say if I give uh, seminars, clinics, or even with coaches, uh, if they ask me a question, I mean, I don't have the answer to every question. But certainly, I have a thought process to every question. So that if you ask me a question, I could probably come up with, okay, this is what I hear. This is what I think the challenge is. This is how how I would um, how I would attack the problem. How much are you into supplements, or according to you, how much of supplements uh, is actually required? I mean, for an Olympic athlete, I mean. How does that uh, because a lot of talk about supplements being a you know, prerequisite for a good fitness uh, uh, level, right? Uh, so, yeah, um, there is a saying which says a, a poor diet supplement to understanding principles. Um, I think if you would think about a hierarchy of importance. At the bottom is obviously the quality of quality and quantity of nutrition, right? So quality is quality of food. So as little process as possible. Much, it will probably, you'll gain weight. If you eat too little, you probably don't get the nutrients you need. So that's the first thing you need to get sorted. Second thing is, um, distribution of nutrients right so how many proteins how many carbohydrates how many 
fats, right? So these are the three macronutrients, micronutrients, and, and hydration. So that's probably the next. Uh, do you get enough uh, meals in a day? Do you do you time the meals? So if you have if you have a training at nine in the morning, what do you eat? When is your last meal? What is what is in that meal, so these sort of things. So what do you eat right after the training? When do you eat most in a day? When do you eat least? So that's probably number three. And after that, you can think about supplementation. So if you have checked these boxes of, you know, energy balance, quality of food, uh, nutrient timing, then you can think about supplements. But uh, what you need from regular nutrition, and if you need to take some supplements, then do it. But don't expect too much from it. And yeah, certainly, it's it better than the other way around. If you, if your nutrition and your diet is poor, the supplements won't save you. Yeah, I think you put it very well. I mean, at feet and play tennis, uh, he wears uh, support. I mean, uh, insole. Uh, what advice do you suggest for his fitness? I mean, basically with a flat foot, is there anything different he has to do? Apart from, I mean, he has an install already, so. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I guess, I guess it's with every, you have to do, you have to determine the severity of the incident. Really a pathology. So is it really a severe flat, flat feet that you are encountering? So that's the first thing. Most often it's just a variation of normal. You can probably train the same way as most people. Uh, however, you should have strategies against uh, you should have protect for the intrinsic muscles to kind of get the bridge a little bit more developed and stuff like that. So I would look at how severe is the incidence. Does it really take you away from training that you need to adjust your training or can you do normal training? So that's looking at the performance aspects or do you need flat foot where it is now to the normal normal foot somewhere in the future and as you speak uh christian even has just messaged saying he has flat feet <laughs> okay and he's really quick i mean you know him. i mean you know you trained him so you know how quick he is <laughs> yeah. maybe, so maybe it's because as you're answering uh you just typed in <laughs> maybe it's because of the flat feet yeah he's moving well uh, 